if you grew up in church, I know you've heard this story, and that's okay. We're going we're gonna to walk through it. But I think there's going to be a surprise application, and, and that is, what do I do if God's answer isn't what I wanted? Because, believe it or not, um, sometimes he answers our prayers in ways we don't want. And, and uh, if you're anything like me, I get a little disappointed. And that's the nice church word for it. So we're going to dive into this story. There's two main characters. Um, if you grew up in church, if you've been around church, you may have heard of this guy named Elijah. Uh, he was kind of a bad dude. Uh, he was a prophet. He, uh, if I can just be honest with you for a second, we all glorify Elijah and think he's awesome, and he was, don't get me wrong, but none of us would have wanted to be friends with him. Okay, can I tell you that? He was weird. He was a weird dude. He would, like, disappear into the wilderness for long periods of time, and, like, he would tell you things you didn't want to hear. Like, he was that kind of friend, you know, real friend stabbing the front. He was very good at stabbing in the front. All right? You wouldn't have liked Elijah. I'm just telling you that. Like, I apologize. Like, someday I'll be in eternity with him, and we'll have to have a conversation about this, but statistically speaking, you probably would not have enjoyed his company. The other guy, the other main character in the story is a guy named Ahab. And Ahab was the king of Israel. Now, uh, for those of you that don't have a lot of church background, uh, God chose the nation of Israel to be his people. And they were led by judges for a long time. And then the, the people of God said, we want a king like all the other countries around us. So then there was... Uh, David and Solomon, and then after Solomon, the two, the nation divided into two. There was the ten northern tribes. They were called Israel from that point on. From that point on, the two southern tribes were called Judah, and so we need to understand that. Jerusalem, the capital, was down in Judah. Israel worshipped um, in different places, and so we'll get into some of that, and there's actually this story, guys. It has everything, all right? Like, it has natural disasters, it has, like, animal sacrifices. It has droughts and famines and, like, crazy idol worship. And, like, it, it, it literally has everything, all right? So we're going to kind of drive through this today. Um, but there's also a character in this story that uh, we'll get to that you probably have heard of, whether you went to church or not. So Ahab becomes king, and this is how the Bible describes him and introduces us to him in 1 Kings chapter 16. Ahab did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all of the kings of Israel before him. That's a heck of an introduction. Like, let me tell you about my buddy Ahab. Yeah, he did more to make God mad than anybody before him. And you may not know Ahab, but I bet you've heard of his wife. Jezebel? Like, I don't know how terrible of a person you have to be for 3,000 years later for people to be like, oh, no, I'm not naming my daughter that. Like, you ever met a woman named Jezebel? Like, that probably wasn't her given name. Like, nobody's that cruel, right? So Jezebel earned her name, and we'll get to some of that in this story today. But Ahab was not doing what God wanted, and so Elijah did that thing that prophets do and went and gave a message that the king didn't like. And we read that in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And it says, Elijah says this to Ahab. So you can imagine a prophet 
hears from God, the king kind of leads the country. They don't always get along, but this is what he says. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, lives whom I serve, which is a little dig there, right? Like you, you just could skim right over that, but that's a dig. Like, hey, I serve this God. You don't. That's what you need to hear, right? Like I serve him. You don't. Like that, that's what he's saying in that. There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Which, can we just acknowledge, that's a bad thing to say, man. Like, that is a bold thing to say, to stand up and go, yeah, it's not going to rain for the next three years until I say so. Imagine this. Like, imagine this scenario. Like, this is bold. Like, he was a bad dude, like, in the good way. Like, bad apples. Some of you can figure that out. And that's what happens. And so the Lord commands them to go into hiding because when you say things like that, nobody's going to like you. And it's a desert to begin with. If you've ever been over to that part of the country, it's dry. You can understand that. Like, but no rain for three years is devastating. Like, rain for th- no rain for three weeks in the middle of the summer upsets me because I'm a middle-aged white guy and all of a sudden I care about my yard. Like, I don't know, like, something happens at 35, and all of a sudden I have to have straight lines and, like, fertilizing schedules and weed and feed and pull. Oh, my God, it's embarrassing. Like, I don't know why or how, but at some point, as a middle-aged white guy, you have to care about your lawn. It's, it's so sad. And so I do. So, but imagine three weeks or three years of no rain. And so you can read this story, guys, if, if you... You need to go and read this because there's so much to this story that I just have to fly through. But like for three years, he just goes and hides. And at first he just hides by a brook and under a tree and a raven comes and feeds him. Like that's weird. Like we just read it. It's like in the Bible, yeah, and a raven came and brought him food. Like, oh, okay. Like, no, that's weird. And then the brook dried up. And so he goes to the nearby village and a widow takes care of him and like, miraculously, the little oil and, and flour that she have, has never runs out. It's, and he brings, like, the sun almost dies. It, we don't even have time to get into it. But after three years, God's like, all right, you need to go have a chat with Ahab again. And so Elijah goes and presents himself to Ahab. And this is what happens. When he saw Elijah, talking about Ahab, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Like, he's already shots fired. Like, you're curious how it was going to go? Well, it's not going to go good. And Elijah doesn't back down. He says, I have not made trouble for Israel, but you and your father have. Which, once again, bad apples. Like, to say that to the king, to just look at him and like, oh, no, I'm not the problem, you are. Like, that's what he says. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed Baal. Or, so I learned in college, I had a professor much smarter than me. He studied linguistics at UCLA, PhD, and he actually taught me that it's Baal. So sometimes I say it that way. If I say it that way, just forgive me as a weird nerd, all right? Please do. But that's the proper way to say it, apparently. We've been saying it wrong all along if you grew up in church. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. 
And once again, a little dig at Jezebel, right? Like she's the one that has brought these influences into our nation. When we read the Bible, we see these pictures and these stories where people struggle with polytheism. Polytheism is the idea of worshiping many gods. And to us, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't. We're 3,000 years removed, and most of the major religions go, no, you need to be this or this or this. You can't just be both. That would be like, no, I'm, I'm Christian and Muslim. Like, you're like, that doesn't work. It's like, you know, but, and so I'm going to try to make a comparison. This might work. It might not work. So hang out with me for a minute here. But it would be like saying, have you met someone that's like, oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Eagles fan, but I also love the Giants. <laughs> You're like, no, that doesn't make sense. And that's how we hear it. The way they would have heard it is said, no, I'm a huge Eagles fan, but I'm also a huge Phillies fan. And they're like, yeah, I can do both. Why can't I? And, and so when we see this, it doesn't make sense to us. But you have to understand that in Ahab's mind, that's the way people lived in that day. Even though the Bible said, worship the Lord your God and worship him alone, like, yeah, they all kind of said that, but they all knew that you'd worship all the gods, and it was fine. It's no big deal. It's like speeding. Everybody does it a little bit. you got to say under 10. If you go over 10, then it's maybe a bit excessive. I don't know. But hear me, like, Ahab is doing what the world says is okay. Ahab's doing what all the other nations do because polytheism is the rule of the day. And so 3,000 years later, in a monotheistic world, it doesn't make sense to us. But give him a little bit of grace. And so God was never cool with it. God never wanted it. God was always trying to bring his people back, just like he is today. And so Elijah's like, hey, guys, Ahab, here's the deal. I know it hasn't rained for three years. We're going to have, like, the final showdown, all right? It's going to be this epic worship night day up on Mount Carmel, all right? So we're going to go up on Mount Carmel, and you invite 450 of prophets of Baal and Asherah. So 900 of you guys and the one of me. And see whose God is true. And so they go up there, and uh, he's like, well, I don't want you guys to think I set this up, so you guys go first. So he's, he's cordial, he's fine, he, uh, he invites them to go first, and so I understand I'm a middle-aged white guy, but I need you to understand what this image would have looked like. When they were trying to get their God to respond, imagine like a Native American celebration. Dancing, chanting, like all of that, or an African tribe. Like imagine those images, because we don't have those in the West. We don't have examples of that in the West. And so it doesn't make sense to us. And so imagine those kind of things happening. And And it starts. It starts in the morning. They set up their altar. They're chanting. They're dancing. The older guys are letting the young guys go first. Then they're getting in there and like taking turns. I imagine there's 900 of them. That's a lot of people. But then Elijah gets smug. Do you like it when someone's smug? Probably not when they're smug to you, but it's kind of fun to be smug sometimes, right? Takes a lot of confidence. You have to be really confident to be smug or just ignorant. But at this point, Elijah is confident. And so at noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. 
Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought. Man, that's so smug. I love it. Or busy. That's some good trash talk. Or traveling. I bet Pastor Ern's good at past trash talk, right? Like in competition, he's so competitive. I bet he's good at trash talk. Uh, then it says, maybe he is a sleeping and must be awakened. Actually, my, my nerdy professor in college taught me that in the ancient Hebrew, that actually probably meant that he was in the bathroom. They cleaned it up because it sounds nicer to say he was asleep. But basically, he's implying maybe he's on the toilet. <laughs> maybe he can't hear you because he's on the toilet reading a good book. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as it was custom until their blood flowed. Can we just pause? This is a crazy scene. This is bananas. Like, what is going on? These guys are chanting, dancing around this, not a fire, but an altar with a bull on it, and, like, nothing's happening. So then... Late afternoon, Elijah's like, all right, guys. And they invited all of the leaders of the tribes. There were 10 tribes in the north. So the leaders of those tribes, the military leaders, the government leaders, who's who in the nation of Israel was there on top of the 900 prophets? And so at about late afternoon, he's like, hey, guys, why don't you come over here? I'm going to give it a try. He's been letting them go for hours, exhausting themselves. So he invites him over to watch, and what he does first is he repairs the altar of the Lord. See, in the nation in Judah, they had the temple of God, but in the northern ten tribes, they had these sacred spots like Mount Carmel where they had altars where you could offer your yearly sacrifices there. Once again, animal sacrifice is completely normal in their world. So he repairs the altar, setting up the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he digs a trench, a small trench around this altar, enough to hold like three gallons worth of water. So not a huge trench, but a a trench to keep everything inside. Then he arranges the firewood on it. Then he slaughters a bull. Like, we just skip right over that. Like, you know how to slaughter a bull? I don't. Like, we just skip right over that. Like, that's messy. That's gross. Like, it's not like he can go down and just turn on the water and wash his hands when he's done. Like, it, like we just skip right over that. Like, what do you do with all the other stuff you don't use? Like, I got questions. And so he sets up the meat, and then he does the most audacious thing he does this whole day. He goes, actually, guys, before I pray, I want you to cover that thing in water. Now, they were five miles away from the Mediterranean Sea. So it could, in theory, have been salt water brought up from the Mediterranean. But if not, let's assume it is real, good, clean water. They've been in a drought for three years, no rain. He's like, just dump more water on it. Keep dumping on there. Gallons and gallons and gallons. So much so, it soaked into the wood. It soaked into the ground. And it filled that rim of water, uh, the, the, the trench around it, with water. Like, That's beyond audacious. Like, it's just rude. And then he says a simple prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel. Jacob changed his name to Israel. 
let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then things get real crazy. Then the fire of the Lord fell, burning up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and it also licked all of the water up in the trench. Do you think Elijah had their attention at that point? And so what does he do? The first thing he does is he commands all of those people, those leaders, to strike down all the false prophets, which seems harsh, seems pretty harsh, right? But like they were leading the nation of Israel away from God. And so those guys without missing a beat just saw that mob mentality, like, yeah, let's do it. 900 people dead on the spot. Crazy. We're just going to skip right over that. We're going to keep going. There's this whole scene. I got to kind of cut over it, but he tells Ahab, hey, go down the mountain, prepare a feast, rain is coming. It hasn't rained for three years, but he is confident that rain's going to come, and so he does. And then it starts to rain. And then I got to share this. I didn't have it in my notes, but I was, I was rereading this passage this morning. It just jumped out at me, and I got to share this with you because it's too funny. So it starts to rain, and it says they, the, they start heading back, and it says, then the power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt, right? He's wearing a robe. He tucked it in, the top, the, you know, wrapped it up around his legs, tucked it in, and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. I looked it up. Jezreel is 30 miles away. He outran a chariot. Like, I like to run in the rain. It's kind of fun. But, like, he outran a chariot 30 miles. Like, the power of the Lord came. Like, this is just crazy stuff that's happening in this story. So then Ahab gets home, and he does what all husbands do. He tells his wife what happened. And he's like, look, at, this is amazing. And Jezebel, I don't know if, if your wife's ever done this, guys, where, like, you're like, oh, yeah, this happened. And I thought it was this, but she told me I was wrong and that it's this. And so Jezebel, this ain't good. Like Ahab's like, this was good. And she's like, no, it's not. It went real bad real quick, right? He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh Uh-huh, honey, I promise. Yep, this is why Jezebel gets a bad name, one of the reasons, right? Like, and so then uh, she issues a death threat, a bounty, puts a bounty on Elijah's head. Unlike before where God tells Elijah to go into hiding, Elijah just does it. And so we're going to pick up the story in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba in Judah. Now, once again, he left the country. Judah's a different country. It's not like, oh, yeah, he went to Philly. Like, he went to Philadelphia. Like, he left the country trying to get away from this woman. Got to Beersheba, he left his servant in Beersheba while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. The average person can walk about 20 miles in a day. So maybe he didn't go that far, maybe he went up a mountainside, but like he went a ways out in the middle of nowhere. 
And he sat down under a bush and prayed that he might die. Think about this, guys. Like, he just experienced something that is the craziest, one of the craziest stories in the Bible. And God performed miracles at his word. He said, Lord, do this, and God did it. Revival happened. False prophets were killed. Like, all of a sudden, things are happening. And within a couple days, he's like, God, could, I, could you just kill me? This sucks so bad. Could you just put me out of my misery? He says, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And so I have a question for you. And it's real simple. Have you ever been disappointed with God? You can answer. Have you ever been disappointed with God? I know we're in church and you think it's a trap. It's not a trap. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Sometimes things happen in ways that we don't want them to. Can I tell you a little story from my life? I'm going to anyways. I got the microphone. So about 10 years ago, I told you I, was, I, uh, I worked for Suncrest. This is the second time I've been on staff at Suncrest. Uh, I was on staff from 05 to 12 as their youth pastor. And in 2012, I felt called to go plant a church. And uh, some of you guys have been around Accelerate long enough. You understand the term church plant. It means starting a new church that didn't exist before. You guys were, some of you were a part of that. Praise God for that. So in 2012, I took my family from Chicago, my three-year-old and my five-year-old and my wife. We moved to outside of Atlanta, Georgia to plant a church. Felt called to do it, raised a bunch of money and went. And for three years, I did everything I could to make that church grow. We did all the strategies. We did all the festivals. We preached all the sermons. We did the worship services. We prayed. Nothing worked. And for me, up until that point in my life, hard work plus doing things the right way always meant growth. Everything I had ever done grew. And so I'm sitting there looking at God going, what's going on? Like, this is how you work. Like, I work hard, I do things the right way, and things grow. What, what gives? And we worked and we worked, but we were running out of money. We were running out of momentum. We, you know, we'd have 50 or 60 people a week, which is bad, but our giving was worse. Um, and so, like, I was just so devastated. Because I couldn't understand, and, and this was my prayer, is why, God, why would you let this church plant fail? I have faithfully served you. I've done everything I could do. I have nothing left to give. Why would you let this happen? And I had to sit in that. And so it led me to the question, what do we do? What did Elijah do? It says in the Bible that he sat and waited in the wilderness for 30 days. He was in the wilderness for 30 days waiting for God. And after a while, God says, okay, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up, but you're, you're going to need to hide yourself because I don't know if you know this, but we as mere mortals cannot handle the full presence of God. Like, I don't know if you realize that. Like, there are stories in the Old Testament where, like, God showed up and people, like, 
Moses was white, pasty white for a while after seeing God, okay? So, like, uh, so Elijah's like, oh, oh, this is going to happen. So he's like, go hide in the cave. So he goes up in the mountain, he hides in a cave, and uh, he's up in the cave, and he's waiting for God to show up, and he's in the cave. And once again, you got to read this. It's in First uh, Kings chapter 19. Like, he hears violent winds, and God is not in that. Then he hears an earthquake. He feels an earthquake, and he stays in the cave. Like, think about this for a second. Homeboy stays in the cave during an earthquake. Like, I don't know about you, but I know, like, you want to get out to open spaces so that stuff doesn't fall on you. But, like, maybe he was so ready to die, he's like, I don't know. It's an earthquake. Like, take me, Lord. But nothing falls on him. Then a, a wild fire burns on the mountainside. God's not that in that. But then, then he hears a whisper. And this is what happens in 1 Kings 19. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, because once again, can't handle the full presence of God, and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? That's my interpretation of God's tone. (laughs) What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been zealous for the Lord Almighty, The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Which, it's funny, because like we do this when we're disappointed and desperate and things aren't going our way. We we lie to ourselves. We lie to God. Because just in the previous chapter when... When Elijah goes and presents himself to Ahab, he actually meets this guy named Obadiah. And Obadiah's like, actually, I got 100 prophets hidden. King doesn't know about it. I'm a faithful servant of the Lord. Be cool. So, like, literally, just this chapter before, 30 days before, Obadiah's like, no, there's 100 more prophets hidden. But then he's like, God, I'm the only one left. That's that's how we do it, right? Like, God, this is the worst. Like, this is terrible. And God responds, and there's a lot to it, but the the short story of it is, God's like, listen, I'm going to deal with Ahab in my time, not yours. You think you're the only one left? I actually got this guy named Elisha, and he's even badder than you. Like, you go read about Elisha, that was a bad man. Like, he did some cool stuff. Like, he literally called a bear out of the woods to attack kids who were making fun of him for being bald. True story. They were also making fun of Elijah too. So, but like, like, he was a bad man. And God's like, you're not it. You're, you're one of my tools. I'm using you here. So what do we do? What do we do while we wait? This is where it's going to get real practical for us, all right? So if you're in this situation and you're like, I don't know what to do while I wait, all right, here's the first thing we need to do. Be real honest with God. You just saw uh, Elijah, he was real honest with God. He was a little dramatic with God. But if we're going to be honest with God, we're probably going to get a little dramatic. Like, that's just how our emotion spills out, right? God's a big boy. He put on his big boy pants today. He can handle you being honest with him. But if you're going to be honest with him, the step two is be prepared to be confused. All right, if you're going to, if you're going to be honest with God, you need to be prepared to be confused. There was this guy named Job in the Bible, all right? It's spelled Job, but it's Job. Thank you, those of you that laughed. Makes me feel good. 
So he went through terrible things. And he, at one point, just like, God, what's going on? I can't take this anymore. What are you doing to me? And he got real honest with God, and God God got real honest with him. And he says this. (laughs) This is God getting snarky back when we get snarky with him. He can handle it, but just be prepared. You're going to get some back, okay? Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They are deeper than the thoughts below. What can you know? And what God is saying, it sounds mean, it sounds harsh, but what he's saying is there are things you can't understand. All right, can I be a nerd for a second? All right, so... Um, did you know that whales have their own language? They talk to each other. They know each other by name. They actually have these like ridiculously long names that they say to each other. Did you know that scientists have actually learned how to talk back to them? It's true. This is all true. You can Google it later. You probably are right now, some of you. However, they also have a brain the size of a peanut, most of them. So their ability to understand complex thoughts are limited, even though they have a language that is distinct that we can communicate with them. Now, if the scientists want to speak to the whales, they are very limited on what they say because the whales can only handle so much. But let's say the scientists want to explain something about our world to the whales. Even the concept of walking doesn't make sense to whales, right? They live in a the water. They, they don't understand walking on dry land, breathing oxygen, much less like an interstate system or an airplane or an internal combustion engine or the internet or like there's so much that they can't understand that there is no point in trying to explain it to a whale. Sometimes with God, we're the whale. I might hurt your feelings a little bit, but I'm talking about myself too. So I'm admitting it. I'm accepting it. There are things about God that I just cannot understand. I do not have the mental capacity to understand some of the nature of who God is. And sometimes when we're mad at God and we're confused, he's like, yeah, I would love to try to explain the internal combustion engine to you, but you don't understand walking. Okay, so sometimes we're confused, and we just got to sit in that. The third thing we got to do is we got to remain faithful even in the confusion and the pain. Because when we're confused and when we're in pain, we might not be like Elijah and be like, all right, I'm done. Just, just kill me now, Lord. I'm ready. We're not doing that. But we might say, I'm never going back to church. I don't have time for God anymore because I feel this pain and it's his fault. Things didn't go the way I wanted them to. I was faithful. I went and did the thing. I, 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 and God's like, well, hold on. The Bible tells us, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I'm going to read that again for you, friends. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. 
I spent three years in Georgia trying to plant a church that never grew. And for four years after that, I kept trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. I served a couple other churches, did a couple other things. Nothing seemed right. And I was so mad at God. While I was standing in churches, preaching, praying, leading, I was so mad at God. I was so jealous when I would look at other churches and see them grow. I'm like, what did they do, God? I did that. I may not be a better preacher, but I'm not worse. I'm a better leader. I've seen that guy try to lead a meeting. I don't understand, God. And then four years later, I end up back at Suncrest. And a third of my job, hear me, friends, is encouraging guys who are starting new churches. And like all of that pain that I went through, that like, literally, it's under the surface, but I can get there right there. God uses that all the time now. So when God has been so good to you guys, things are so great here, and God has blessed you guys, and you guys are growing like crazy, and I'm so happy for you. Five years ago, I wouldn't have been. Right now, I am. <laughs> But there are still very hard days for Pastor Earn. And we talk. And I can relate in ways that a lot of other pastors can't. And I have a sympathy and a compassion and a, and a heart for him in those hard days. And I just look back and it's so obvious now. God, why would you invest a half a million dollars for me to go get my butt kicked in Georgia? so that today I can stand here and just love on Pastor Earn. Hold him accountable, challenge him, push him, make him the best version of him that I can. And God is using all of that pain and confusion. Just because we are confused doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan. I want us to sit in that for a minute, friends. Just because we are confused doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan. I don't know if that's good grammar or not. I don't care. But like, seriously, because we don't understand the plan doesn't mean it's a good, not a good plan. I don't know what you're confused about. It's probably not a church plant. You guys are people with jobs and lives and things going on, but there's probably something at work that's under your skin that you're confused about. There's a family member. There's a relationship that's broken. And you don't know how on earth it's going to get made right. You're waiting on a health diagnosis and you can't wait fast enough for that phone call to come or that email to come. He had to wait for three years for rain. He had to wait for 30 days for God to show up. We get really mad when the doctor's office doesn't call the day they get the results. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a housing thing. Maybe it's something real little. You know, last night I, uh, I had a kind of a late flight. I was going to get in a little bit late and uh, got delayed because of a seatbelt and a missing pilot. So I got in a lot of bit late. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a couple sporting events going on in Philly this weekend. And so uh, I got to my hotel right by the airport and they informed me that my room was given away. So I walked to the hotel next door, stood out in front of the front desk for five minutes. Nobody came. 
<laughs> just, just standing there with my suitcase like, no, hello, no. I just walked out. <laughs> I got tired of waiting, just left. Walked to this other hotel. There's a sweet girl behind the counter. And she's like, I'm sorry, we're all booked up. I think this one hotel, you'll have to get an Uber, but this one hotel over here might have a room. So I call, I go outside, I call it. Nope, they're all booked up. So I'm like, well, I'm going to Cherry Hill in the morning. Maybe I'll check a hotel over there. Surely there'll be a hotel room over here. And so I got a room at the Holiday Inn over here, whatever, it's no big deal. But I go back inside and I'm waiting because I was getting eaten alive by the mosquitoes outside. Fantastic experience, guys. I'm so angry, so confused. Like, God, I'm doing your work. I booked this hotel room two months ago. Not a single room anywhere to be found. And I'm talking to this girl behind the counter because it's almost one in the morning. Like, what else are you going to do, right? And she's so sweet. And uh, she's like, so what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm preaching at a church over in Cherry Hill in the morning for my friend. And she's like, oh, that's cool. I live down that way. She's like, I've been looking for a new church. Now, I don't know if she'll ever show up and, or if she's here today. And she's like, please don't tell this story. Like, but like, even in that little moment, I'm confused. I'm frustrated. I could, I mean, let's be honest, I'm a pastor, but I could have been not nice. You know, like, right? We've all been there when we're tired, exhausted from travel. Travel brings out the best in people. You know, there's actually this system at the airport. If you're really rude to the people, they actually have secret seats on planes. Just kidding. They don't. It doesn't help. But uh, even in those little moments when we're confused, maybe, just maybe, God has a plan. And this, this girl heard about Accelerate Church, and maybe God has something there. Maybe not, but maybe. Once again, it's beyond my ability to understand. And so I just pray for you guys, pray for all of us in this room today, that when we're confused because things didn't go the way we wanted, that we would lean into God as opposed to run from Him. Would you pray with me? God, I... Uh, I am so grateful that you use us, that you, you could have done it any way you wanted, but you chose to use us. You want us to be a part of your story. And where that oftentimes means we get confused and we stumble and we fumble. But we know that you're faithful. And so, Lord, if we're at a place where we're questioning that, where we're doubting that, Lord, I just pray that we would be honest with you and with ourselves in that. And in these moments, patiently wait on you because your timing and your plan is so much better than anything we could ever plan for ourselves. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.